to another edition of Trinity College Dublin Talks. With us today is Dr. Dermot O'Brien. Dermot is Chief Innovation Officer in Trinity, a relatively new position that was created to uh, harness all the different types of innovation going on in a research-intensive university such as Trinity. Welcome, Dermot. Hi, Tom. Dermot, let, let, let's start kind of with... Um, with your own life and how you got to got to this kind of role and how you became interested in innovation in universities. Um, so you studied here in Trinity, is that right? Yeah, so I did material science degree here in Trinity. And is that what, physics or? It's one of these hybrid degrees. It's a mixture of physics and chemistry, almost like what you'd call in the US a dual degree. So you kind of do a bit of both, yeah. Mm. And how is it that you knew that you wanted to do you know, there are not many 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds who know they want to do material science. Yeah, well, when I came to Trinity, I wouldn't have signed up for material science. It was science in general, and then you specialise a little later on. And uh, exactly like most 16-year-olds, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I uh, hedged my bets and did something that allowed me to do a bit of everything. And that just happened to be material science. So uh, I really liked both subjects. The idea of specialising in one just didn't appeal. But then when I did a PhD, you kind of have to jump a little bit more discipline-specific. And then I did a PhD in physics. Although many people in physics would argue it was a chemistry PhD, it was polymers. So um, I so What was the question you were trying to answer? Well, back then we were developing new display technologies. So uh, if people can dial their memories back, we had kind of cathode ray tube TVs in the sitting room back in the Maybe 1980s, these, these big <laughs> boxes. Uh, and then we moved to liquid crystal display TVs and back then we were developing uh, new what were called plastic displays. So display technologies that were using uh, plastics, polymers typically. With this great idea that you could build flexible displays, displays you could roll up, displays that were wafer thin, um, which seemed uh, fanciful then and now seems uh, realistic and indeed... Uh, yeah, n n now they happen. Yeah. yeah. So, after you did your PhD, you, you, you stayed in that area, you went to Princeton and you did postdoc. Uh, and then I think you, 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 know, you made some breakthroughs, you, you have a few patents to your name, don't you? Yeah, so Princeton was a great experience. So, in Princeton, your capacity to deliver was limited by your imagination. Resources weren't really uh, a challenge. And so you could really get up every day and kind of think, what do I want to do? Uh, what kind of experiments do I want to do? And so we were still working on the same display technology. We'd moved away from polymers, what are called small molecules, still organic materials, but uh, small molecules. And um, we developed a technology there called uh, uh, organic uh, light emitting displays from uh, uh, phosphorescence, which is just a, a different kind of emission of light. Um, and that now has become the kind of core technology uh, that underpins a lot of the new organic light emitting displays that are out there. So a lot of the new TVs are OLED displays, a lot of the new uh, smartphones have those displays. Um, so it's become actually from a piece of research in a lab back then to a uh, um, standard technology in the home. Yeah. And how does that work? You, you, you do this, you notice that there's a, a likelihood that it could be applied. You, you, you apply for a patent and then do, do tech companies come along and ask, can they use it and pay you a royalty? Or, or what yeah. I mean, it's not as quite as linear as that. So you, you end up asking interesting scientific questions 
finding out interesting answers and then realising those answers have applications in areas that perhaps you didn't quite understand as you started out doing the work, but I suppose through doing the work you've understood the benefit of it. So we, we applied for patents on that. In the case of Princeton, that company, uh, a company was spun out from the group I was working in in Princeton. And that company has since gone to be a floated company on NASDAQ, valued well in excess of n many billions of dollars. And that has been the company that has developed the core technology, which it then licensed to the likes of Samsung or Apple and, and, and other kind of companies. So in that situation, uh, actually the people who, uh, I made a choice back then not to join that company uh, and to come back to Ireland. And uh, I suppose in hindsight, when you look at that, people who, who join that company now are multimillionaires on the back of the success of that technology. But that's actually what stimulated my whole interest in this idea of universities being places where you can do really interesting research from a scientific perspective but actually create something that is really transformational from a kind of consumer uh, commerce perspective you know and I lived through that and seen it happen over the last 20 years through the technology that I was involved in in Princeton. And I suppose that, that, that experience that, that thing that you've just described or process you've just described is, is a reminder of one of the basic arguments of universities today which is that uh, researchers should be allowed to pursue what, what's called curiosity-driven research, what, what they're interested in. And sometimes amazing things happen that transform society, sometimes nothing happens. But that is a, what, what's often called in the jargon basic research, uh, as, a, as opposed to applied research, which is uh, research where you kind of know where you're going. That is a very important part of the research landscape, isn't it? And if people don't do that, we won't have uh, iPhones and we won't have... Uh, yeah. 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 Look, basic research, uh, I often, I don't like those words, I mean my own view is we should be focusing on excellent research uh, and then maybe we think about how we categorise that later in terms of how quick the impact from that research would come. Uh, even research that has no obvious impact in the short term often does in the long term and it certainly produces the impact of really trained and skilled people that come out from the institution and, and can provide value elsewhere. But no, I really think you should be starting with interesting problem statements as opposed to uh, targeting immediate solutions. Um, uh, because if you can f define problems well enough, um, what you find is that you actually create research that underpins multiple solutions and can be really kind of translated in lots of interesting ways. And that's where you get the biggest impact. And uh, so that's where I think we should be starting from. And it's not that those problem statements can't come from industry. In fact some of the most interesting problem statements come from industry. But just as much of those problem statements can come from a scientist's own curiosity about where they see their field going and where they see opportunity. And so we just need to be open to them both. Yeah, it is. It's a good point. It is, in a, in a sense, a false dichotomy, isn't it? And I suppose one example of that might be the work that Einstein and others did on the atom. And, uh, and then it, it seemed very basic, very, very recherché. And then just a couple of years later, it was used to end World War II. So it became, went from basic to applied in a, you know, in a matter of months, really, uh, from 42 to 45. Uh, but let's, let's get away from what happened in Hiroshima and, and move back to you. <laughs> um, you came back to, to Dublin then, um, and you came to Trinity, I think. Is that right? So I came to Trinity and stayed for a short period. So I came back from Princeton uh, this was uh, about 99, 2000, came to Trinity and 
I suppose I was suffering cultural realignment as I came back. The resources and the infrastructure I'd got so used to in Princeton weren't here. And uh, not just in Trinity, but in Ireland as a whole. This is pre-SFI. This is really just at the beginning of the PRTLI programmes that were kind of, I suppose. This is just as the government inve investment in Irish research kicked up. Yeah, yeah, picked up, exactly. And so I went into this into industry and I worked in different startups. Uh, uh, one startup in Dublin, again on display technology. One startup in Switzerland based on uh, high power batteries, lithium ion battery technologies. And then another technology uh, out of Trinity, actually, the spun out of Trinity, which was a company looking to create uh, high throughput uh, liquid dispensing for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, all of them based around what people would broadly today call nanotechnology, so really thinking about how you can uh, miniaturize technology to create impact. Um, so after three different startup companies, um, Trinity just at the began to get really enhanced funding uh, for research in nanoscience. Um, uh, and that was really the beginning of universities in Ireland beginning to move away from having select individuals who were globally competitive to having departments that were globally competitive or, or, or competitive at scale. And that was just a really exciting transition to see because you were actually beginning to influence you know, the direction through which universities were going to become known for. Um, and so Trinity set up an institute called CRAN, which was a nanoscience research institute. Um, we had just this group of really world-leading researchers globally in this area that all came back to Ireland around that time and joined a handful of already pre-existing researchers here, like Mike Coey, who were exceptional. Um, and we began to build a new building to house that institute and uh, a really aggressive plan of bringing new faculty in and bringing something at scale. And so th that was an amazing experience. Yeah, I, I, can, I can imagine it was. And, and really that, that set the path, didn't it, for, for what you've done since because you worked in um, uh, the part of Trinity that, that tries to encourage spin-outs and tries to uh, ensure that um, help, I suppose, academics to, to take research and, and do what you did successfully in your own life with others to, to help them repeat the trick. And, uh, and, and you've done that with, um, I think it's fair to say, great success because you know, all the evidence is that Trinity students uh, and, and graduates are among the most entrepreneurial in, in, in Europe. And so things have, things have gone quite well and now you're Chief Innovation Officer where you have a kind of responsibility for what is perhaps one of the most innovative programs, uh, I would say, in, in well, certainly within Ireland, which is called Tangent. Can you tell us a bit about Tangent? Yeah, so uh, universities have really evolved a lot in the last decade in understanding, I mean, the way I think about it is, what is the role of a university for a 21st century economy? You know, how do we take all the things that we've done over centuries that are still needed, which providing deep discipline, education and capability and, and research but how do we also then begin to support our graduates um, uh, think about how they may use those skills in interesting ways to impact upon their own careers and futures. And so Tangent is about providing that interface between um, the traditional kind of strengths of the university around education and the entrepreneurial requirements of people who are successful as they move out into the enterprise community, be that in a startup company or be that growing, uh, joining a mature company who are really interested, as every company is now, 
in how they can innovate and how technology might disrupt them and how they can gain advantage from being a leader and understanding those uh, opportunities. And so what Tangent does is it really provides uh, an opportunity for a safe place in some ways for students in Trinity to begin to experiment with how they can take their ideas forward. Uh, just be clear for listeners, it's every student, isn't it? You could be doing um, theology or history or yeah. law or, you know, this isn't uh, aimed at students in the science area. This is to really encourage anybody who might have an idea. That, uh, to, that's critical. To, you know, and, and actually, like a lot of students, it's not the idea that you even need. It's the energy and the kind of willingness to kind of bring your uh, perspectives to a problem. Um, because there's lots of opportunity for groups to identify opportunity space and ideas. Um, and actually, like most ideas to be delivered, you need a really coherent team with a diverse array of skill sets to bring them forward. And so absolutely, students from all kinds of backgrounds come in and find a role and a place for themselves within the kind of fledgling companies or within the projects get, that get developed within, um, within Tangent. And it's really, a, a, it's really a place where students can, while having the safety net of their degree, which they're continuing to do and put effort and energy into, they also have the opportunity to begin to experiment around new spaces that they'd like to move forward from. And so we've seen you know, two things come out of Tangent. Um, we've seen companies that have come out that are really made huge impact on uh, society here. Could you give us a few examples? Well, the kind of poster child that many people talk about is Food Cloud, which came out from the very first um, uh, launch box. Um, Foucault had a very simple idea about this, uh, this kind of uh, philosophical concept, which is that uh, every evening uh, supermarkets, restaurants throw out a lot of food that is, uh, I suppose, going out of date or going to be non-optimal for consumption in the next day. And every day charities are looking elsewhere to try find food to bring to people who've got food need. Um, and so Foucault has cre created an app to connect those two communities together. Uh, at a very local level, so uh, the local supermarket uh, can connect it with a local charity and every evening they can do a pickup of the food and deliver that to people. And it's really grown and scaled to the point now that uh, there's about five million meals a quarter are being taken from food waste to brought to food need through food cloud, acti food cloud acting as this kind of intermediate. So that's a kind of social enterprise that's really grown to being a sizable business. Uh, and not just here in Ireland, but also in the UK. Absolutely, in the UK and actually now entering into the US. Right. Uh, and similarly, actually, there was uh, other companies. Um, uh, in, in that first year, there was uh, another company that was created that looked at um, uh, digital uh, imagery for animation. So how you could take uh, two or three people and scale them up to make it look like a crowd, essentially. Uh, and that company just got acquired um, uh, about a month ago uh, for tens of millions. So, you know, another example of a student company that came out and has gone all the way and, and uh, uh, its original inventors have done very well, a company called Artematics. Um, so, you know, there's, there's lots of ways you can go and that's the important piece, you know. Uh, the limitation is really around the ambition and the kind of uh, vision of the students. Um, and what we do is we provide a framework to guide them. So we bring in experienced entrepreneurs, we bring in people who run workshops, do design thinking, critical thinking. Uh, we help them understand how to pitch their idea. We help them understand how to fundraise. We help them to connect with other mature companies so that they can kind of get a sense of where they fit into that landscape. And very quickly you find that these uh, uh, individuals, normally very young individuals, uh, quickly find that their ideas and their uh, 
opportunity is not as uh, limited as they thought it might be or is not as niche as they thought it might be and often they go on to do great things. So companies is one great output but we shouldn't forget the other great output is companies that didn't work but have produced an amazing experience for a team of people who've been involved who then find that as they go on to uh, either start something new or to get a job have been um, enhanced by the experience they've been through, made more attractive to an employer or been given the confidence to go again at their own startup. What, what kind of students? Is there any pattern? Have you noticed anything that um, you know? You, I, I think you pointed to energy there as being important. Ideas are fairly common. I think we've all had them. Uh, wouldn't be great if sometimes we've even had the frustrating thing of seeing somebody else have the idea independently and make a success of it. But yeah. so, what are the what are the qualities in, in, in your experience that? Um, lead people to create good companies? Well, there's a philosophy out there about is an entrepreneur uh, born or uh, made, you know, and uh, my sense is that most people can be entrepreneurial if given the right supports and the right encouragement. So what you want from somebody coming in is clearly they need a kind of passion and energy to bring to a project because uh, the activation for everything new to get something moving is high. So people need to have the resilience to be able to get through that. Uh, obviously most people don't need that resilience in a vacuum as an independent entity. That's why you have teams, because teams feed off each other and the day you're feeling down is the day somebody else could carry the load and vice versa. So typically what you need is someone who understands that and is able to share their idea and share their responsibility and build a kind of unit that's working towards it. So. That capacity to build that relationship and that shared vision with a group of people is really important. And then obviously to understand like everything in life, what you know and what you don't know. Because uh, students are going to come in and uh, some are overconfident about what they can deliver, um, which is a wonderful trait in many ways and probably better than being underconfident. But you have to recognise when uh, a mentor comes in and gives you guidance that you've got to go and take it a different direction. Um, so that's the other piece that's needed, that capacity to, to listen. Uh, Sean Dorgan, who used to be the head of the IDA here in Ireland, um, he used to be on the CRAN board and he said the biggest uh, strength that uh, a head of the IDA could have in Ireland was their ears, their capacity to listen to what was being told to them by companies, by government, and then find a way to bring that through. And that's the same with these startups. They've got to be able to listen. Where is the opportunity in the market? What does the customer want? Where is the financier saying they're willing to invest? And how do I take all of those components, fit them around my business, and then make something that works? Yeah, I have to say, actually, one of my favourite things of the year is this event, Launchbox, that, that we have once a year, where it's a bit like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank if in the US, where basically students stand up, explain what they've done, and pitch, and they pitch for... Uh, help with, with, their, with their business idea and it's, it's really endlessly moving how, uh, how they're driven by a mixture of altruism often and uh, enthusiasm for making, making money and making their mark and it's a really great combination. But you've, you've that's one of your responsibilities but, but, but the, the, the next one, the biggest one, the one that I think takes up most of your time and probably keeps you awake at night sometimes is a much more ambitious uh, plan but essentially it's in the same kind of linear kind of development here. First of all you were doing it by yourself, postdoc, then you're doing it with other students and so on at the university level. Now what you want to do is um, uh, encourage, and you're working with colleagues all over Trinity, 
to, 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 to really redevelop uh, part of the Docklands here in Dublin to uh, encourage more industry collaboration with academic uh, research and to, to, to kind of really push it to a completely different level. We call it the Grand Canal Innovation District. How would you describe it to people who are not familiar with it, Dermot? Yeah, so what we've seen around the world over the last number of years is uh, this change from people building science parks or innovation parks in the suburbs to this idea that the best location for innovation to occur is in an urban environment. And that's driven by this idea that you need the kind of critical mass and density and scale of resources all co-located beside each other to really kind of optimise the opportunity that comes from having all of that talent being able to work together. And so in the case of Trinity, you know, we've had the same campus for 425 years in College Green, right in the heart of Dublin City Centre. And to some extent over the last 10 to 15 years, the uh, kind of commercial, or one could certainly argue the technological heart of Dublin, has moved about a mile down the road to Grand Canal Quay, or what people sometimes call Silicon Docks. And there now we've got about 80,000 people employed in many of the world's leading global tech companies and the companies that support and engage them, be they finance companies or consultancy houses or legal firms. And so we've got this really unique uh, kind of dense talent hub in Dublin. Um, but what we're missing in that talent hub at the moment is we're missing the capacity to bring new innovation and research to bear on those businesses. Um, and so as new technologies come to bear, be it artificial intelligence or autonomous robotics or autonomous vehicles or those kind of pieces, you know, how do we begin to build a capacity for these companies to uh, incorporate new technologies and indeed for new companies to be evolved that can be at the forefront of how these technologies get commercialised? And so the plan Trinity has is that we can build a new university campus on a five and a half acre site we have directly beside Google essentially and in, in Silicon Docks um, and use that site to do two things. Uh, the first thing is to build at scale a research and innovation campus that combines the best of what universities can bring, so world-class research at scale, and connects it with the best of what the corporate innovation world can bring. So we would encourage 50% of this site to be where uh, research and innovation driven startups are based. We're hoping for about 400 startups to be co-located on the campus. But we're also trying to encourage all the large multinational companies that are in Ireland to place uh, corporate innovation units on that site. And suddenly we will have in the centre of Dublin a site that will bring together this almost globally unique mix of academic, startup and enterprise uh, research and innovation capability into one site. And then the second thing we want to do with that site is once we've built that almost kind of nucleus capability for um, on that campus, is to use that campus to create and stimulate, catalyze the creation of an innovation district for Dublin, which would be essentially the kind of kilometre of space that would surround that site. Uh, that incorporates already these globally leading tech firms, um, but can ideally become recognised internationally as this kind of location of choice for innovation investment. And in many ways, we like that innovation district in the centre of Dublin uh, to act as a reference point globally for not just Dublin then, but uh, not just the city centre of Dublin, but Dublin as a whole and indeed Ireland. Um, 
So we'd love to find a way to connect that innovation district with the campuses of other universities around Dublin, like DCU and UCD, uh, the Technological University, and also to connect it to the regional innovation hubs that are beginning to develop in Cork and Limerick and in Galway. And so it's really about this idea of transitioning Ireland from being a manufacturing or a services economy to being a really innovation-enabled economy, positioning the country over the next kind of 20, 30 years for this idea of being kind of competitive globally for talent, for startups, for venture investment, for corporate innovation investment. So it's a kind of a, a series of concentric circles, perhaps uh, you know, the university itself, working with other universities, uh, working with Dublin, working with the country, and of course no research these days happens within national borders, working with uh, academics and researchers in other countries. And then those concentric circles are kind of overlap with, with industry, small startups, uh, that are Irish, indigenous companies, multinationals, companies abroad. It's, uh, that's one way of seeing it, is it? Uh, absolutely that. I mean, uh, you know, you want this kind of melting pot of opportunity that brings everybody together. I mean, innovation just doesn't happen anymore in some eureka moment in a lab at the back of a building. It's just not how it happens. It's become uh, too challenging to innovate in that way because typically now to innovate you need disciplinary capability from different areas so it could be uh, a medical technology researcher needs uh, a digital technology understanding uh, coupled with a kind of social sciences understanding about that how that technology might be taken up by society with an ethical understanding about what the implications of that technology might be and you need the venture capital funding to support the development of that technology and you need the different kind of layers of uh, uh, lab infrastructure and capability to enable it to be evolved. And so in all cases now, what you need is to find a capacity to bring together different disciplines and capabilities. And that's just, na that's just not narrow where you have those disciplines uh, from a university environment. It's disciplines across sectoral as well. So you need your academic and your enterprise player and your um, investment player. So, what we're trying to do here in Dublin uh, with this Innovation District Plan is to build a coherent ecosystem that brings all of the necessary components to drive both fundamental research and the opportunity to translate that research to create impact into a single uh, a dense hub where you can do as much as you can to kind of um, uh, enable the opportunity. Clearly with the understanding that you're always going to have to partner beyond that hub. That hub is not a panacea to everything but it creates that nucleus where you can achieve things quicker or sometimes uh, reach failure point faster so you can move on to do the next thing. Well, I, I, th I think we'll leave it there, but I mean, it, it is this fundamental issue of applied and basic research once again, in a way, isn't it? It's, it's uh, how a really fantastic example of how um, curiosity-led research, other kinds of research, can combine to, to actually change the direction of a country from time to time. And we've seen it in, in throughout history that this, this happens. The Industrial Revolution was, was one time where... Yeah, I think the way I would think about it, particularly with this project, is universities have a unique role to play in unlocking the kind of innovation potential of an ecosystem. Um, companies, for very good reason, have got a obligation to think about commercial returns in 12-month cycles. Um, um, that's what their shareholders expect, that's what their investors expect. Universities like Trinity have been operating and helping to transform 
cities like Dublin for 400 plus years. So we can afford to take a step back and think about, you know, what is the journey that Dublin and Ireland is going in over the next 30 years, 50 years? What kind of strategies can we put in place that are uniquely uh, available to universities only to try and reshape a city and a landscape? And so it will be impossible for the corporate world to do what we're trying to do with this innovation district. Um, and indeed it would be impossible for almost any other mm. uh, organisation to do it. Uh, what universities bring is that talent pipeline of students, they bring that long-term mission alignment around research, innovation, education, talent, skills. They bring a unique breadth of uh, innovation capability across its faculty base. Almost no other organisation has world-class immunologists and geneticists and computer scientists and medics and historians all within the one organisation, so companies can't do that. And so the other piece that we bring is we bring this capacity to nurture new ideas in ways that companies can't because they tend to prune new ideas that aren't immediately beneficial to their commercial, commercial benefits. And so in some ways we almost have to kind of look back and say if we were to define or define the perfect institution or vehicle to try and transform our city we'd look to create something like a university. And so Trinity has that role now to bring the strengths and assets it has to help position and reshape Dublin, clearly in partnership with all the other organisations that are needed to complete that skill set. Um, but you know, it can spearhead this project in a way others can't, and that's why we're so excited to do it, because we feel not only can we do it, and, uh, but we feel we almost have an obligation to do it. And if we do it, it can really change the country for the good. Which kind of brings us back to Trinity's origin story, because if you go back to the, the documents from the 16th century, uh, the, the, it was the business community in Dublin, actually, that was agitating for a mm. university and, and constantly petitioning uh, the Crown in London, saying we need one because it's good for business, basically, and, and uh, it's not immediately obvious why a university that initially, like most universities in Europe, would have focused itself on theology and other things, why that would be good for business, but, but it, it shows it, in every generation it is in different ways and, and it does seem that the mission of universities today, or, or not necessarily the mission, but one of the chief benefits of a university today is exactly what you've just described. Dermot O'Brien, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Thanks, Tom. <laughs>